Yeah. 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 Booming out in Sabonet like Lou Will. Six men like Lou Will. The Six Man Podcast. Welcome back, folks, to the Six Man Podcast. Silly focus on the National Basketball Association. Yours truly, Alex Moskowitz from the Emory Wheel Sports Section. And Aaron Perlstein from Fanaractive. Okay, so this podcast will be broadcast on all platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Today, there's a special guest with us, Oliver Wiener of the Sixth Man Podcast team. Say hi, Ollie. How's everybody doing today? What's up? What's up? Okay, so with Oliver on board for today, we're going to start off with a segment we're now calling the Debate Slate. So the Debate Slate is presented by Grip, the best, most personal new apparel brand on the market. Go to godsgrip.bigcartel.com today. Okay, so obviously we, we, we're all in agreement about who had the better offseason, the Lakers and the Clippers. I mean, in my, in my mind, the Clippers are the best offseason of any team, adding two top 10 players. But who will have the better season overall? Because in the recent ESPN poll that I've cited, you know, they asked 12, 20 executives, coaches, and scouts about who would win the West. Zero of those people said the Lakers. Well, I think it, if, if I have to think about it, it all depends on health-wise and just the mesh of Anthony Davis and LeBron. Because if that works out, if they could find efficiency and, you know, a pick-and-roll game that no one can really control and LeBron James is healthy for the whole season, that's a the best duo that we've seen in a few years to be honest with uh like better than any duo that he's had in a long time and i mean that could you could put those both in the top three a few years ago and the best players in the nba so obviously i think there's a lot of things that have to go right for the lakers but if it does they could 100 percent be the best team in the west right i would agree i mean as well as Paul George and Kawhi are as long, versatile defenders that you can kind of stick on anybody. If LeBron and AD figure it out, like nobody can stop that pick and roll, regardless of regardless of your personnel. Like you could argue that, you know, back in the day, like Kawhi had success stopping a younger LeBron on a pick and roll, even with a loaded squad in Miami with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. But Bosh would be behind the arc, and they'd run a small a, a two three pick and roll with Wade and LeBron. And LeBron was the big, so Kawhi could still protect the rim. But Kawhi's not going to be able to protect the rim, the rim with Anthony Davis cutting in on the other end. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. Also, that playoffs or that finals where they matched up against the Spurs, the Heat, LeBron was, was struggling mightily from the three-point range. And last year, he's really improved his three-point game. I think he shot around 37% from the three-point line. So, you know, LeBron has become kind of a different Less explosive player, but an equally good player at that. The real question is, can he stay healthy? Because you finally have seen the first cracks in LeBron's mighty king, uh, king armor, you know, with the injury last year where it was a muscle injury, you know, typically the product of, you know, a lot of wear and tear. So, you know, really it's going to depend on whether or not LeBron can stay healthy and, Another question mark for me is just the fact that they don't really have a point guard next to LeBron. I mean, Rajon Rondo didn't well, that, really that's why fit with 
the report is they're playing LeBron at point guard. But he can't stay with point guards, can he? Doesn't matter about on defense wise, on offense. Well, that's why so I think what? a guy like Avery Bradley was such a good pickup because on the offensive end, you can run LeBron at the point, but now you have a guy that's been known to be able to guard point guards one on one. Right. Right. Okay. So next, we're going to continue to our second segment, the report card, as we examine the Western Conference. So we're going to start off with the, uh, with the Northwest Division. Going, uh, going up to, up to Denver. Um, I loved Denver's offseason because one reason why is they kept everything intact. If you looked at the, pl- the teams that kept the most players and brought back most players, uh, Denver's up at the top with 12. And all they really did was traded for Jeremy Grant. And Jeremy is going to help their defensive, like just their whole defense. Um, amazingly. I mean, that was their big letdown. You know, they have a crazy offense and a, an efficient offense run by Nikola Jokic. But he, the Joker isn't a very good defensive player. But getting Grant next to him and, you know, in the middle of the paint, that's going to be perfect for them. I mean, Grant uh, <clears throat> started 72 games last year for the Thunder. And his main, like, uh, position on the Thunder was just their defensive anchor. And getting him and, you know, drafting upside in Bobo and signing Jamal Murray back, just their point, their whole thing, I already, I, I was hearing the Nuggets GM on the Woj pod. His whole idea is that all these teams, the Clippers, the Lakers, all these guys that added big primetime players, it's going to be a time where they're going to have to mesh. And, you know, there's a lot of hypotheticals. But Denver, this team has been running for three years. They have their core. They know what they can do. And uh, they're just going to run with it. So that's why I love it. I think they just didn't try to do too much. Yeah, really, whether they take that next step in the playoffs and progress to the Western Conference Finals and beyond is the development and the progression of Michael Porter Jr., honestly, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the dude can flat out ball. And also, I mean, adding Jeremy Grant, or Jeremy, don't call me Jeremy Grant, uh, <laughs> you know, that's a big addition for them. You know, he averaged 13 points per game. He was a quiet 13 for the Thunder. Averaged six rebounds per game, defended multiple positions. I think... You know, he can bring a lot of uh, a different element to, you know, what they presented last year, coming in for Paul Millsap off the bench, possibly starting over Paul Millsap come playoff time. So I think that was a great addition. We'll see what Bobo can provide as a rookie. I mean, he was exceptional in the time that he played at, at Oregon, averaging 21 points per game, 42% from the, from the three-point line for a 7-2 guy. And then Michael Porter Jr., who knows what, what he'll give you? If they can keep him healthy, if he can be that go-to wing where they can rely on for big buckets down the stretch, and Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic can continue to thrive in that pick and roll and progress, I could definitely see this team coming out of the West. I don't know about you, Ali, but... I The one thing that I would say is it is also contingent upon Jamal Murray's development in terms of being that guy, because we saw him have games in the playoffs where he went off and you were like, wow, he's about to take that next step. But he also had games where he kind of disappeared and you're watching the game and you're like, who are they going to turn to? You know what I mean? Who's going to get you a bucket down the stretch? And in a loaded West with Harden, LeBron, Anthony Davis, Kawhi, Paul George, you need someone like that that's just going to go get you a bucket. And Jamal Murray's like that sometimes, but he's also not like that at other times. But I would agree with you guys that in terms of adding Jeremy Grant, 
to that squad. I think he's a way better fit on the Nuggets because, I mean, he's a slasher. He's a, he's athletic. He's a guy that can get to the cup. And next to Steven Adams, it was kind of redundant because Adams kind of clogs up the pace. But on a team like the Nuggets with great shooting and great floor spacing because Jokic can shoot it more of a stretch five, obviously, than Steven Adams is, I think Jeremy Grant will be much more effective and utilized more properly. Yeah, so uh, so I give him a B plus. We were all kind of in agreement here. Eric gave him an A minus. Ali also gave him a B plus. So next we have Port- the Portland Trailblazers. We talked about them before, and um, and I think they did not have that great of an off season. You know, you saw the rest of the Western Conference improve exponentially, and all they really did was get Hassan Whiteside, who's not the same player that he once was. For some reason, maybe. Maybe he'll rediscover his confidence in Portland, but with the Heat last year, he looked like a shadow of his former self. You get Kent Bazemore and exchange him with Evan Turner, which I like. I think Kent Bazemore is a relatively good wing. can come in, knock down the three, play relatively good defense. Rodney Hood provided a spark off the bench during the playoffs. So, you know, he showed the promise that was expected of him coming out of Duke. and then. They signed a bunch of veterans who really won't move the needle. Nasir Little is pretty raw as a prospect. So, you know, they they were kind of stagnant in this offseason. And I'd give them a B minus, truthfully. I mean, I, I think I was a little harsh on them, but I gave them a C plus. Because of what you said, I mean, they got a lot of veterans, but their biggest problem in the playoffs was their bench production. I mean, when Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum weren't hitting or they're off the, off the court, I mean, yeah, they, they went to Rodney Hood one game. But other than that, Seth Curry was important, Ennis Canner, Alfarik Aminu, and all those guys, they're now not on the team. And you replace them with Anthony Tolliver, Mario Hazonia, Paul Gasol. Is that going to be enough? Like, yeah, you have one of the best backcourts in the league, but it's really going to come down to depth in the playoffs. And I don't think they did anything for their depth. And I think it's going to be a first or second round exit again for Portland. Right. I mean, I think the glaring kind of detractions from the team, I would say, is Seth Curry and Enos Cantor, just because those were two offensive players. As you said, they had off the bench, like people that could go get you a bucket, Whether with especially with Enos Cantor, you can just kind of dump it down there. But I would say not to, the reason I gave them a B plus is because they locked up Lillard and McCollum, which is huge. And especially for a team like the Trailblazers, they got, they locked up their future for the next, at least they have McCollum for the next three. They have Lillard for, he'll probably be there forever. He said he's going to re-sign there forever. So I think you can't just look at their offseason as, you know, how much did they add that's necessarily going to translate into winning initially because the West is loaded right now. But I think they, with by locking up those two guys, they gave themselves longevity and that if they can finally add that wing, that that roster's been craving for years, that athletic win, wing that can shoot and be up. I mean, I remember back when, like, I wanted Melo to sign with the Trailblazers because he would just give them he would just give them a wing score, which they desperately needed. But I think by locking those guys up, if you can weather the storm for a couple years, and even if this year it's a first or second round exit, I think they set themselves up where they could make a run in the next four to five years. Yeah, I mean, I love you know locking up Baby Dame, Dollar Dame, Dollar Baby. Dollar, but I, 
I'm not suggesting it, but I wouldn't be opposed to a change of scenery for CJ McCollum, especially if you can get a, if you could have gotten a wing back for him, possibly exploring shaking up the roster, especially with Dame Lillard already being, or already not being super great on defense. If you can get an athletic and long two guard to pair with them or a wing, then I think they could have improved their team. I think it was time for them to finally make a bold move. And I feel like they're just stuck in the mud at this point. Like Denver, you see them. They're really in a place of ascension. They're, you can tell they're going to get better. They have a lot of young players. Dame and CJ have been in the league for a while. They're kind of at their peak right now. So I wouldn't have been opposed to exploring you know, trade options for CJ McCollum. Because in reality, locking those guys up also restricts the amount of cap space that you have to explore getting that big time wing that you're talking about. So unless the guys that they get, you know, they drafted Nasir Little, but since they're kind of always in that first to second round range, they're not in the lottery. They're not getting super high upside guys. I do like Zach Collins. I'm I'm intrigued to see what he does next year because he showed some stuff in the playoffs. He showed the ability to step out, hit the three. Also a good shot blocker. But you know, Nasir Little won't really move the ne- the needle. So, I mean, I think it comes down to the draft. Like you said, Nasir Little doesn't really move the li- needle. I think it's because they were targeting Cameron Johnson out of UNC, who shot 45% from three. What? It's serious. Cameron and he, Johnson, bro. He would have fit perfectly next to Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum as just a wing shooter. But the Suns decided to take him at 11, and that was that insane. That was crazy. Yeah, so... <laughs> Phoenix never yeah. lets us down for some giggles, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so next up we have Utah. I mean, Utah, in my opinion, knocked this offseason out of the park. I mean, we are all in agreement here. We're, we're handing out A's all around. I mean, bringing in shooting, which was the real detractor for them last year, the fact that they could – they were one of the best defensive teams in the league. But in that series against the Rockets, they – they just missed so many open shots. I mean, it was crazy. They get wide open shots and just brick them. I mean, Ricky, Ricky Rubio, Rubio couldn't hit the, the broad side of a barn in the playoffs. So you bring in Mike Conley, you replace him with a former all-star point guard. Obviously, it's contingent on the fact that Mike Conley will stay healthy, which he hasn't been able to in the past few years. Bring in Boyan Bogdanovich, who had a really solid season with the Pacers. Ed Davis is a good, solid backup big. Jeff Green is still athletic, and yeah, I feel bad for Jeff. He keeps going around and getting minimum contracts. Oh my he's god, he's better than that. He's better than that. He's he's relatively good. He's six nine. Mm-hmm. Jeff, Jeff Green's a great player. And then you know you get Emmanuel Mudiay, who is relatively good with the Knicks, and you finally get year. Favors out of there. I mean that Favors Gobert that never worked, and yeah. I think that oh. was their demise. But uh, yeah, they're deciding to play Bogdanovich at the four. It seems like. Hopefully that works out for them. But yeah, like I said a long time ago in one of our earlier podcasts, outside of the Clippers, who's going to guard that much shooting in the West? I mean, it's just it's just four of those shooters and Rudy Gobert, who's a the best rim protector in the in the game. So that's an insane lineup, and I hope it really works out because they deserve it. Right. I mean, I gave them an A two. Obviously. I feel like everyone would give them an A. I think they had a, I mean, from a, from a simply basketball perspective, when you get Ricky Rubio's dead legs out of there, 
who was <laughs> most exciting as a rookie. And you bring in a guy like Mike Conley who can get you a bucket. He's a great defender. He knows what he's doing in the playoffs. And you had Bogdanovich, who, I mean, you love Jay Crowder, but he thinks he's a way better shooter than he actually is. <laughs> um, obviously, that's going to help them out. But the um, the one thing I would say is when you bring up all their shooting, they were super streaky last year. And in the playoffs, I mean, Joe Ingles couldn't hit, hit the side of the barn either for a few games. And I think that's going to be very, very important for them is they're going to have to hit their shots. Yeah. And Donovan Mitchell has well, to improve as an outside shooter. They have a lot of depth now also. I mean, you could bring Bogdanovich at the three or, you know, you have Jeff Green, like we said. So if Ingles isn't shooting, they don't have to play him as much as they played last. They, they played him last year. Yeah, they really relied on Joe Ingles last year. Too much. I mean, he kind of came out of nowhere. He's not really a guy you want to rely on for a playoff team, especially with Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell really struggled. He's got to improve his efficiency and his consistency. And, yeah, I mean, that's really going to ter- kind of determine how far they get, whether right. he becomes more efficient and takes better shots. His shot selection is freaking terrible. Right. I mean, he's their, he's their guy. They're really, I mean, when it comes down to it, they're only going to go as far as he's going to take them because, you know, you know what you're getting from Mike Conley. You know what you're getting from Rudy Gobert at this point, but he's the one X factor. I mean, Donovan Mitchell can emerge as the best two guard in the NBA if he really steps up his game. Maybe not as good as Harden, but you know what I'm saying? He can be in that type of class as a perennial all-star, but he's got to become a better shooter. He has the form for it. He doesn't have a broken shot, but he's very, very streaky. And sometimes he's a go-to scorer, but sometimes he's not. Yeah, I agree. So staying with the North, staying in the Northwest division, going, uh, going to Oklahoma for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Aaron, start us off. Well, I got to bring it back. to Remember, you hated on their draft because they needed a, someone to come in and help them win now. Yeah, and, I hated and on it. Darius Baisley is not that guy coming, never playing any collegiate basketball. But now it looks pretty good. Maybe they had that idea really in the good. draft. Darius Baisley, Leguens Dort, those two guys are going to need a, lot, a few years to get ready. And I think those are both going to be uh, really good play, role players off the bench. And you get Shagulis Alexander that I already talked about. I think he's an unbelievable point guard with extremely high uh, potential on defense, and he's working on his uh, three point shot. And like he, they acquired seven first round picks, so insane. Agreed. They weren't going anywhere with their, they weren't going anywhere with their core lineup last year, and I think it was a very smart idea to blow it up. And they blew it up. They blew it up really well. Agreed. Yeah, I agree. I mean. They're really in a great position for the foreseeable future. Except I mean, Chris Paul. Yeah, but even with Chris Paul, we brought it up on a previous podcast. You said they were going to trade him immediately, but what they're doing, since they have so much cap space now, they're just eating his contract, they're sitting on it, and waiting till a point guard desperate team, like like I mentioned, the, the Los Angeles Lakers, comes calling. And will ultimately give up even more assets for Chris Paul. So although they have to take on Chris Paul's contract, you know, you have to reach a certain cap limit. So the fact that you have that bloated contract, you can hold on to it. Then you don't have to sign, uh, veterans to what they're, what, you know, to above their worth. And you can let your young players, Darius Baisley, Lugan Stort, all your first rounders in the next seven years, uh, play without the pressure and, 
without veterans blocking their spots. So I really like what the Oklahoma City Th- Thunder did uh, this year. Stan Presti proved himself a genius once again. Clap give it him up an A. Stan Presti, baby. Easy A. Yeah, I mean, the only like bit of caution I'd say from OKC, I gave them an A too. I think they got tons of assets. Um, but I would say that as long as as long as if they happen to hold on to Chris Paul, as long as he doesn't eat into Shea Gilgis's minutes and his development, I think it'll be all right. You know what I mean? As like, as long as you know he can, Chris Paul can have a positive impact on Shea, teach him how to think the game more, maybe give him some of that dog mentality that Chris Paul has in, a, in an abundance and help him develop as a player. It'll be great. But if Chris Paul is eating into Shea Gilgis's minutes as the primary ball handler, I could see that to be detrimental to his development. I agree. I, I think that was a concern for me, but it seems like... Uh, They're just going to have a mentor him. Yeah. And if I mean, Chris also Paul Daniel got that role. I mean, Chris Paul's a... He's a prickly dude. He could also come into camp and be like, you know, this is the guy that's going to be taking my minutes. I want to win them from him. I mean, he's he's shown that type of mentality right. in the past. You can't just, like, count on Chris Paul to take the role. Like, you know, I've done everything I've wanted to do in my career, and now I'm just going to mentor that young this young guy. That's not Chris Paul. Right. Because he's still ringless, so he's never going to do everything. That's true. I'll be chasing yeah, that next ring forever, have- baby. <laughs> We have uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves, and I really think they did a poor job. Oliver, how about you start this one? Yeah, let's have oh, Oliver yeah. start because right, so he's the real outlier in these you grades. Two, you two gave, I really can't understand it. You two gave Minnesota a C. I gave yes, them a we C gave them I think that I think that they made some good additions in the. I think that they made some decent additions in the draft. I mean. Listen, Jalen Noel is a really, really good shooter, and so is Jarrett Culver. They can both shoot the hell out of the the hell out of the ball. Noel shot forty four percent last year in college, and I think I mean that's only going to go up. And I just think they made some nice additions. I mean, they're not like they got rid of kind of the dead weight on their team. Derrick Rose, who's eating into guys' minutes. Tyus Jones, who's not going anywhere. Taj Gibson, who. We all love looking at his bald head running up and down the court, but, like, you don't need Taj Gibson on your roster anymore. So I think they did a nice job, and I think they got a they got an absolute bargain on Jordan Bell as well. I mean, they signed him for less than $2 million. Well, yeah, I mean, but he's he's kind of a bum. He, he, I, I honestly think he, he only looked good for the last two years because he was on the Warriors. Yeah, Jordan I mean, Bell is very limited. And considering they were rumored to – be in the race for D'Angelo Russell and pair him with Carl Anthony Towns. You know, they were both in the same draft together. They headlined that draft. So the fact that they didn't make that happen, they didn't really use any of their cap space for good use. I mean, Noah Vonley's not a bad player. I saw him in the Knicks this year. He had a relatively good season, but in my opinion, in my opinion, they didn't do enough to actually improve. Carl Anthony Towns is going into his fifth year, so time is ticking before he's going to make his free agent decision. So you have to show him something that you're at least trying to improve. I mean, Jared Culver, I like their draft, but I just don't think they did enough. And Tyus Jones, in my opinion, is relatively high upside. 
Darius Saric had a relatively good year, so I don't understand really not bringing them back. Right, and but Derek they Rose, used, they, they used don't have Sarge. anybody else at point guard right now. They they don't have anybody else. I mean, they have Jeff Teague, but Jeff Teague's also dead weight. So why not get rid of Jeff Teague instead of bringing back Derek Rose on a more reasonable contract? Right, but you use first of all they used Saric. They packaged him to get Jarrett Culver, so it's not like they just. True. They didn't That's pull true. the Lakers with D'Angelo Russell and let him go for nothing. I mean, they, you know what I'm saying? They use Sarge for a purpose. And I think that, like, obviously they're not going to compete this year, but they weren't going to compete regardless. I mean, the, the West is loaded. They, after the failed Jimmy Butler experiment, they're, they're time to win now. The window to win now has kind of closed. So I think by adding a guy like Jarrett Culver, who does have elite upside, he was a top guy in the draft. I mean, they turned the 11th pick into Jarrett Culver, which I think at its root is a pretty successful offseason, even if it doesn't translate into immediate success. I think the I think the part that just pisses me off is uh, they're still sitting on Andrew Wiggins' contract. That's true. Um, that's, that's the big impediment. I think they could 100% find a suitor for him uh, if it's the Suns. If someone that wants to take a, another stab at him, um, you know, everyone these days could probably take on that contract. Oh, for sure. Passing on, but- so I think that's the part because, you know, you kept hearing rumors that they're thinking about trading him here, here, here. And now they're stuck with him. And, you know, he's going into what year? He was supposed to be the next LeBron. He's the most inefficient shooter I've ever seen. Uh, yeah, he I, ranked I below they're, replacement they're, level. They're going nowhere with Andrew Wiggins. And that's the part that bothered me about their their free agency is they didn't do anything about that apparent issue and that issue that's going to halt their their future. Right. I just think that it's not the situation that they're in. If they traded Wiggins um, two months ago or they trade him a year and a half from now, it doesn't really matter when you talk about their long-term success of eventually becoming a championship contender again. I mean, they're not going to compete this year regardless. So whether you hold on to Wiggins now, they, you know, they didn't find the right package, they're patient, and maybe they find the package that they like later on down the line. I don't think that's necessarily a failure. It's not a need. Like I'd say it's the most glaring issue with their roster from a cap space point of view, but I don't think that it's as urgent in the point that it has to be addressed right now. I don't think it hinders their long-term success success by not, by not addressing that issue right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Shall we go on to the next one, Al? Yes. Let's go to uh, the reigning uh, Western Conference champions, the Golden State Warriors, who have made the finals in the last five years. So this was a big offseason uh, for them. You know, they, they, there was a lot of change in Golden State. So we'll start with Aaron. Okay, well, I, I did this one late at night. I saw I gave them a C. I'm going to move that to a C plus, um, Just for the fact that they got something back for Kevin Durant. I think whenever you lose Kevin Durant, you're already down to D range. You know, you're losing the best player in the world. But I do like that they, they asked for something in return and they got D'Angelo Russell, even though he doesn't fit in that team in any way, shape or form. But apparently they're not even hoping that he plays. They kind of just want to move him for more pieces because they know he doesn't fit next to Stephen Curry. And I do like the Willie Colley Stein move, but I don't know. I think. They just have a whole different roster right now, and especially with Clay Thompson being out until around February, probably. 
I don't know how good this team is going to be just on the Steph Curry's uh, shoulders. I mean, we saw how limited Draymond Green has become on offensive end. Uh, Willie Colley-Stein might help, but other than that, who are they going to have that's going to help Stephen Curry with the offensive load? You know, like we saw with a lot of all the injuries in the playoffs, they were very, you know, stagnant in offense with just really one person shooting, and that's what it seems like it's going to be until around February. You really wouldn't. I I actually really like the Willie Cauley Stein uh, signing. I think that will bring kind of a different dimension to what they had before, especially had since they had at the end of the year they were playing Demarcus Cousins, um, Andrew Bogut, and like Kevon Looney, so they didn't really have the same athleticism and defensive presence that Willie Cauley Stein will bring. Also, I'm not super opposed to D'Angelo Russell. I think, especially with with Clay Thompson out, I think they could possibly make it work with D'Angelo Russell playing on the ball and then having Stephen Curry off the ball running off screens. And But what really brings their grade down for me is their draft. I think Jordan Poole was a massive reach in the first round. Eric Paschal isn't bad, but Jordan Poole wasn't even – wasn't close to our first-round radar, let alone he was a fringe second-rounder. So – Picking him, especially when you need the, – their real main needs were at the forward and center position. So picking a guard that just is a big-time chucker and doesn't really play defense, that really mystified me. So I had to give him a B-minus. Yeah, I mean, I gave them a B-minus as well. I think I, too, love the addition of Willie Cauley-Stein. I mean, he's the best center they've had for their scheme in recent memory, albeit Boogie, who barely played. I mean – He's better than Festus Azili was. Maybe he's not quite as good as Andrew Bogut was their very first year with Steph, Clay, and Draymond. But, you know, he's close, and I think he's he's a good player, and he still has room to grow. He was never really given his fair shot. Um, but I would say for me, they also completely overpaid for Kevon Looney. I mean, Kevon Looney's only rele- relevance is a product of Golden State's success. I mean, you put him on another team, and I feel like he's bouncing around the league, you know, in and out of teams' G League system. So I think they completely overpaid for Kevon Looney on a three-year, $15 million contract where that money could be allocated elsewhere. I mean, you don't you don't pay a guy like Looney close to $5 million who offensively can only catch wide-open lobs. And defensively, he is a good defender and slightly versatile, and versatile but I think Again, a lot of that comes from the fact that he was just he was on Golden State and they have a great scheme. I mean, put him on another team and I just don't see him being relevant at all. Yeah. Okay. So let's move on to the Sacramento Kings. Aaron, you gave him a very, very low low grade. <laughs> so we will start with you. I mean, yeah, I've been a little harsh on these grades. Yeah, um, dude. <laughs> Oh my God! Uh, I, first of all, <laughs> dude, you're, you're a tough teacher. <laughs> I hated the Harrison Barnes contract. I think that was the worst contract this this free agency. You know, I don't think he's worth that in any way, shape, or form. I didn't like giving up Willie Cauley Stein, um, and you know, you replace him with Dwayne Dedman, who's just athletically not there. He can shoot the three, but not like at a high clip. I mean, you get Trevor Ariza on a pretty big contract, and then you give. Um, Corey Joseph upwards of 25 million. Like, I don't understand what they're doing. You know, they had a great young roster with Buddy Heal, Darren Fox, Marvin Bagley, Harry Giles, and that's a great core to 
build around. But I don't understand tying these guys up who are not going to be that big of a part of it in big contracts. Yeah. I mean, they definitely overpaid for guys, but they already had so much cap space to work with anyway. And it didn't seem like any of the big time free agents wanted to come to them anyway. I kind of like getting Corey Joseph because he's a good backup point guard for Darren Fox and he'll be able to spell him some time during the game. Also, Dwayne Dedman is relatively athletic. He was all right on the Hawks. He was, he's fine. He was also on the Spurs. He's bounced around a fair amount. Wow, that's a big contract. Yeah, if we wow, go back Corey to Corey Joseph, Joseph, he got a three-year, $37 million wow, contract. That's King. insane. And for a I don't think he's worth what? that in any way, shape, or form. Wow, that's insane. I, I, I agree. He's not worth it in any, in, any universe, in any universe. But he will provide valuable minutes. And I like, uh, I mean, I give it a B minus. Like, it's just kind of whatever. And that's it. Yeah, I mean, I think a guy like Dwayne Dedman kind of helps them. You know, he's a very efficient player. He gives he gives everybody good minutes. Um, and I think Trevor Reese is going to help them as well, just in terms of, you know, length of three-point shooter. But the reason I gave the Kings a B is because you could say they overpaid for Harrison Barnes, but what that shows you is they're betting on their guys. They're betting on Bagley, who quietly had a great rookie season, and they're betting on De'Aaron Fox, that he's going to turn into that that elite point guard that a lot of us think he might. And, I mean, Marvin Bagley's extremely efficient. I love him with De'Aaron Fox. I think they're a great combination. So, you know, we'll see what happens. You can't – they're going to – like, because of their bird rights, having Harrison Barnes, they'll be able to lock up they'll be able to lock up those those two guys, Bagley and De'Aaron Fox, regardless. So I think, you know, they're betting on their guys and they're going to see what happens. Okay, let's move on to the team we graded the lowest of any team. <laughs> I mean, every analyst that I've seen, that I've read about or that I've looked at, their take on the Suns offseason was that it was absolutely atrocious. It was freaking terrible. Their draft was dog shit. Cameron Johnson was nowhere close to the 11th best player in this draft. More like 30th best. If that, he was a fringe first rounder for us. They got rid of TJ Warren for some stupid reason. They basically, they gave up a draft pick to get rid of him. And he's like a relatively effective scorer. It really didn't make any sense. They got Ricky Rubio on this ridiculous contract. And Ricky Rubio, he's just, he's not a point guard for this type of NBA. He can't shoot the ball. It, it just, their entire offseason was backwards. The only thing that I like is Jared Harper has, I actually kind of like Jared Harper out of Auburn. He's a little bit undersized, but he is the heart of a line. He really proved that in the tournament this year. So I give it a D. I mean, it was abysmal. It just doesn't seem like they know what they're doing. Ryan McDonough, was a terrible general manager, but James Jones makes him look extremely good. Yeah, I mean, I gave them a D plus. I was a little nicer. Um, but I think that's only because of Ty Jerome. Our listeners know how much I love Ty Jerome uh, from the draft, and I, I think he's going to be an unbelievable player. But <clears throat> I just did the math. They have $105 million tied up in four players. Frank Kaminsky, Ricky Rubio, Kelly Oubre, and Aaron Baines. Um, I don't think those are the players you want to have be paying upwards of a hundred million dollars 
I think that's going to come back to haunt them. And, you know, they got one of the best players last year in DeAndre Ayton. They have Devin Booker. And I think they're just going to continue to stunt their growth, you know? Yeah. Just- Dude, those guys are bona fide scrubs. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I gave them a C plus, which is way too high. I honestly don't know why I gave them a C plus. I think they had a terrible <laughs> I think they had a terrible off season. I mean, kudos to them that they locked up that star studded foursome you just laid out, headed by Aaron Bain. <laughs> That's gonna take over the Western Conference. But I mean, you know, the Suns they final they finally hit on two draft picks. I mean, they finally got Devin Booker, they finally got DeAndre Eaton. You think maybe they're gonna turn the corner. And then they completely wet the bed this offseason, pay the wrong guys. And, yeah, I think they definitely set themselves up to be mediocre for the years to come. Yep. Okay. That's, that's what they are there in the desert. <laughs> yep. Okay. Next up, we have uh, the Houston Rockets. So they were relatively eventful this offseason. They acquired former MVP Russell Westbrook and also re-signed uh, a bunch of their guys, uh, Austin Rivers, some of their role players, Daniel House, Gerald Green. So I think I give it a B minus just because because you're a hater. But I think it could rise to an A. I think this this pairing between Russell Westbrook and James Harden could turn out to be one of the best backcourts in the entire NBA and possibly of all time, given that you have two former whoa, MVPs. Whoa, 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 whoa. Or, or it could blow up in their face and they would they you know they're facing a dilemma next season next off season where they have to get rid of one of them given that their play styles don't really match up together so really it's gonna this entire off season is going to be determined on how well russell westbrook james hard match uh mesh together and i don't see them meshing together given that russell westbrook is not a good shooter shot 29 percent from three last year James Harden typically likes the ball now. He he had the highest usage rate of any player in the NBA last season. So I can be a B minus solely because of that. Even though they got rid of Chris Paul's contract, which was a positive, but really it's going to be determined upon the chemistry between Russell Westbrook and James Harden. Oliver, I want to hear from you because you seemed like you didn't like what he said. Yeah, I'm gonna. I mean, I think that a lot of people have. Some people have super lofty expectations for the Rockets' backcourt, and some have very, very low expectations for the Rockets' backcourt. And there's not many, there's not many people that are in the middle. But while I think that when you said they have a chance to be, you know, the best backcourt of all time, I just I don't see it happening. I think that's I think that's a reach. I mean, how, but how many teams have two former MVPs? Yeah, in the backcourt, I can't think of like really any teams right, that have compiled. But, much individual talent together. So if they mesh together, they find a way to figure it out. Sure, but you in terms of the chemistry. But you have to look. I don't at love the their nature. game together. You have to look at the nature in which they both won their MVPs. I mean, both of Westbrook and Harden's MVPs were predicated on sheer volume, and you simply can't you can't run a team where two guys are are both performing the way they did in their respective and their respective MVP season. So you can't just make the argument that. You know, we're throwing two MVPs together. This We could catch lightning in a bottle and run with it because, you know, basketball doesn't work like that. I mean, on their two MVP seasons, the entire offenses were ran between the two of them. And so, and so that's where I kind of don't see the same – I don't see the same ceiling that other people think. I do think 
that underratedly Westbrook kind of does fit Dan Tony's system, even though he's not a good shooter, because a huge part of Dan Tony's system is guys that can get to the rim. And you, we've seen what Westbrook can do with a, with a center that knows how to roll to the rim with Steven Adams. And I think Clint Capella is just a more athletic version of Steven Adams. When you're talking about a pick and roll, maybe not as soft handed around the rim, but he can definitely catch lobs better and finish at the rim better. So I think from that perspective, it can work out. I just, in this Western conference, I don't see the tandem of Westbrook and Harden making, like making any noise past maybe the second round. I agree with you. I get what you guys are saying, but I honestly, I believe what they said in the press conference. I believe Russell Westbrook saying that him and James Harden know what they have to do to make this work. I think they're okay giving up some usage. And one thing that I really like about this is just the versatility, the, the, the starting, like the starting five versatility and just the units that you put out there. You know, if James needs a break, you still have an MVP that you could base a whole game plan around. And it's just the idea that you're not losing that much when one of them has to sit, unlike years ago or like this playoffs where Chris Paul was not that effective. And when James Harden sat, you kind of lacked a lot of offense. Listen, I mean, to me, to me, I know they said in the press conference they know what they have to do, but neither of them have ever won a championship. So I'd argue that they don't know what it takes to win a championship. And I would say that the most exciting part of this pairing is going to be the two outfits they pull out together when they walk into the arena every night. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next we go to back to the Lone Star State for the San Antonio Spurs. And we're all in agreement here. We think they had a mediocre offseason. I like what they did in the draft. Um, you know, getting Keldon Johnson, who I think is a really high upside wing. You've already seen the work that Popovich has done with Lonnie Walker, their uh, high upside wing from last year's draft. And in the summer league, he's shown a lot of progress in terms of his jump shot. Did you guys see the video of versus- him banging threes today? I did. It looked uh, exciting. It was pretty impressive. Very exciting. Pretty impressive. No, yeah. So Keldon Johnson has a ton of upside. I think Popovich could do wonders with him. So I like that pick. But they really didn't add much in free agency. Marcus Morris was supposed to go there, but he reneged on that deal for some reason to go to the Knicks. <laughs> really understand what's going through his head. Maybe we should get him a psychologist or something, but whatever. Well, you know, I think he was, so, he was really he was in search of a very ru- well-run organization. And clearly, I mean, the Knicks yeah, offer that. Exactly. Over. James their, their owner is, you know, he's he's shown why they're a viable free agents target. Oh, he wanted sure. to replicate the dysfunction that he had uh, in Boston. You know, that's why. Right. He, yeah, right. he was craving for. Uh, yeah, no, I, yeah, I gave them a B. Also, um, I do like their draft, like you said, but I'm going to highlight someone else. I, I think I love Lucas Samanich outside out of Spain. I think that he's going to be an unbelievable player. He can shoot the fuck out of that ball. Um, he's a stretch four. That's just going to. I really think with Pop and what he's done with international players, he's going to be a bright spot for this uh, San Antonio team. And But other than that, yeah, like you said, uh, they didn't do much. They still have a lot tied into Andre, uh, into DeMar DeRozan and Marcus LaMarcus Aldridge. Um, hopefully they can figure that out. But yeah, they're, they're not... I don't know if they'll make the playoffs in the West these days. Um, hopefully they do. But other than that, you know, 
they don't have the star studded lineup like all the other teams. So. Well, I mean, you know they're gonna find they're gonna find a way to get into the playoffs. They always do. Um, I'm really excited about their backcourt this backcourt this year, getting Dejounte Murray back, seeing what he can do with a full season. Um, I gave them a B as well. If they had added Marcus Morris, I think it would have been that would have been a good add because him and Rudy Gay together, you know, with DeRozan, that's a lot of that's a lot of athletic wings. You can swing some good lineups together. So I think that was kind of disappointing that he reneged on the offer and came to New York to win the Knicks a championship. But um, <laughs> yeah, I like the I like the addition of Trey Lyles as well, though I think he he can kind of spell for Lamarcus Aldridge a little bit. He has a similar skill set, you know slightly bigger guy who could shoot. So, you know, I, I'm projecting the Spurs to be an eight, a seven or eight seed simply because they're a well-rounded team. And they have, I think they have enough talent to win enough games to eke into the playoffs. Okay. Next up, we have the Memphis Grizzlies and they, they hit, hit a home run with their draft. I mean, John Morant, I mean, he's, he's a point God. He's a stud. He can, he can, uh, he averaged double digit assists in college, nearly three more than the, than the next closest, uh, college collegiate player in terms of assists. So he has incredible vision. He averaged 25 points per game. He can get to the rim, can bang on any, uh, white dude with average athleticism from Marquette. Um, and then. <laughs> They got Brandon Clark, who's a baller, bro. He won Finals MVP. No, nope, summer. Or league. sorry, summer league MVP. Slightly <laughs> different. Slightly different. Slightly different. And they brought back Jonas Valanciunas, who played well with the Grizzlies when he was traded there last season. So I really like what they did. I also think adding Jay Crowder to mentor their young wings. Maybe they'll catch lightning in a bottle with Josh Jackson, and he'll figure it out. I mean, there was a reason he was picked fourth overall only five years ago. He's just still. Still a young player with Andre Iguodala and Jay Crowder mentoring him. So we'll see about that. Grayson Allen, maybe there's something there other than tripping people. We'll see. And um, and they didn't really lose much. Yeah, I mean. Other than only, but they got first-round picks in return. They got rid of Chandler Parsons' bloated contract. So I have to give them an A. Yeah, I think I was too, I was too low. I have them as a B-plus right now, and they should be an A because, I mean, any offseason where you get rid of Joakim Noah and Chandler Parsons, you're doing something right, regardless of what you get back <laughs> on the other end. And they got John Moran, who, I mean, everyone loves John Moran. Um, yeah, Alex has compared John Moran to kind of John Wall, similar type of player. And, yeah, I think John Moran can develop into one of the best point guards in the league. So we'll see what happens with Memphis. They finally have room to grow. They've moved on from the days of their defensive their defensive grinding team, and we'll see what they turn into. Yeah. Um, other than, like, John Moran and that, I think it really revolves around Jaron Jackson and his uh, progression from last year. You know, he was a very good rookie, and in a huge rookie class, he didn't really stand out that much, but he's a, he can uh, really shoot the ball all over the court. And I think him next to John Moran, that could be a pick and roll that could destroy the league in a few years. Yeah, I mean, on, on draft okay. night, they showed – when they showed that that shot right after John Morant was was drafted and Jaron Jackson was there to kind of greet him, you know, you saw those two together and you were like, hey, you know, maybe that could turn into something special. Right. Okay. Next up, we have the Pelicans, who also had a very active off season. You know, they added very. a ton 
of really high upside, good young players. They added possibly, I'm not going to say it possibly, the next, I'm not going to say LeBron James. I can't do that. Like, I can't disrespect LeBron James like that. Somewhere in between but LeBron a and guy Griffin, we'll take. Yes. A guy I compare to Sean Kemp, and okay. they added Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who also balled out in the summer league. They added him with the, I think it was the 17th overall pick. Mm-hmm. So they got him in the mid, in the middle of the first round. He really showcased a, an effective three point jump shot, which you didn't really have at Virginia Tech. And then you bring in Lonzo Ball, who was the second overall pick only three years ago. Josh Hart, young player. Jackson Hayes caught a body in the summer league. Mauled some dude. One of the greatest, He's as one athletic of the as anybody. Yeah, one of the greatest on the plays of recent memory. Yeah, I mean, he's as athletic of a center as I've seen in a while. Brandon Ingram, the Slim Reaper. <laughs> we'll see if he continues to progress. He had a good season with the Lakers last year, averaging 18 points per game. And they got a fuck ton of first round draft picks for Anthony Davis. So I'm. I mean, we all are in agreement. They knocked this offseason out of the park. I give him an A. Aaron gives him an A minus. Yes. I'm not sure why he put the minus, but. Uh, I just think a few of the contracts got a little out of hand. You know, JJ Reddick's. Um, oh, yeah, JJ Reddick, possibly. Uh, I don't know. Duke South. Yeah. Um, Derek Favors, I don't know how he really fits next to Zion. You know, they're both limited in shooting. Um, so, But we'll see. Obviously, they're still in the A category for me. Um, I'm just, I'm excited to see if they'll mesh together. Right now, it's just unclear. Yeah, I mean, I have them as an A+. I actually loved, I love the addition of J.J. Redick, even though they had to pay for him, because when you have guys like Lonzo, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson that you're trying to develop, guys who struggle shooting, you need, you need guys to space the floor and make life easier for them. So I think, I think adding a guy like J.J. Redick, he's a good locker room guy, he's a really good shooter, and I think that'll help them a lot. But to me, I gave them an A-plus just because, I mean, if you think of a fast break and you got Lonzo running down the floor with the ball and you got Ingram, Jackson, Hayes, and Zion running with him, good things are going to happen. So, Okay. So last but certainly not least, we have the Dallas Mavericks. So they were relatively inactive this offseason, even though we all expected them with Mark Cuban to be extremely active. They were reportedly in pursuit of Kemba Walker, but ultimately were not able to obtain his services. So, you know, they re-signed Chris Dops, and there are question marks about giving him a max deal, given that he's coming off a really serious injury. He also is kind of a prima donna, given the way that he forced his way out of New York. I'm still salty about that. Oh, I am too, brother. But, but I mean, they they got Seth Curry, who's... Mediocre. They brought back Dwight, Dwight Powell, J.J. Barea. I've been talking about the most important asset, though. Dorian Finney-Smith. No, Boban. Oh, Boban. A guy who is top 10 in PER. Of all time. Of all oh, time. Oh, yeah. I mean, but between seven, him and three, Dwight Powell. Seven, three giant. And Dwight Powell, the, mar- the marvels of the uh, of uh, sabermetrics in basketball. I mean, they're good to go. <laughs> yeah, but given the fact that they didn't really improve uh, this offseason, and they didn't really add young talent around Kristaps and Luka Doncic. I have to give them a B-minus, honestly. 
I mean, I gave them a B plus simply because they re-signed Porzingis. I think as a native New Yorker, that was a that was one of the worst moves the Knicks have have made in recent memory. Kind of just letting the one guy we finally we finally hit on as a draft pick go. But I think by locking him him up, you give yourself a ceiling and over the next five, even ten years that like we have two players that are possibly transcendent that you know, together can together can make some serious noise. So I think any off season in which you can secure that type of future, you gotta at least get a B plus regardless of your other addition. Yeah, I'm just it's not I'm not sure if Kristaps is uh worth the max yet, you know. Obviously he's he was hyped up in New York and uh he, he could shoot the ball, he could space the floor. But it was like did he show that much to be a max right now? It's unclear, and we'll see once he's healthy. And also, there are question marks about whether he will stay healthy throughout uh, over the course of that big five-year investment because he's never played more than 70 games in a season, and he's coming off a really big injury that has taken him longer than like, than it typically takes for guys who aren't seven foot three and only 240 pounds. Right. So but- I have question marks about the extension. Obviously, it is exciting for Maverick fans, given that you have two phenomenally exciting players. You can do a ton of things, and they're both under the age of 25. But I do have question marks about the Porzingis um, deal. Um, so, yeah, that's why I gave him a B-. Right, but so, when you think about when you think about Kristaps, I mean, it is important to keep in mind that Yes, he got injured. You might not think he's the max because he's injury prone. He's injury prone. He has a slim frame. You might not think he's going to hold up over the long term. But I mean, for a guy to come in as young as he did into as this dysfunctional of a franchise as the Knicks are and still somehow progress. I mean, average 14 when he came in, 18 the next year. And before he got injured two years ago, he was averaging close to 23 points a game. So I think, you know, being able to maintain that arc of very constant and predictable growth season to season on a team where, I mean, young players go to die. Like, look at, look at Frank Nielakina. I mean, he was a promising young player and he's turned into an afterthought. So I think when you look at that and you look at his career arc on a good organization like the Mavericks, surrounded by a young player who can get him the ball, who's a great floor general, who plays like he's 30, year old, 30 years old and a seasoned veteran in Luka Doncic, I think that Porzingis is going to be successful, and if he stays healthy, the two of them could take over the NBA. We'll see. We'll see. Okay, so thank you so much for listening to us. We were happy to have our guest, Oliver Wiener. Um, he was fantastic. The the newest member of the Six Man Podcast team. Let's do it. So we will be having him on in the near future. Yep. And uh, thank you so much. Uh, we will see you back here on Monday. Good night, everybody. Thank you so much. Uh, We will see you back here on Monday. Good night, everybody.